Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for taking time out of your schedule to watch us every week. And uh, we've been doing a series from the book of Nehemiah, from Ezra, from Haggai, Zechariah. <clears throat> of course, we've been all over the scriptures. But we've been doing a series that we're calling Roadmap to Reformation. Last week we started talking about the Sheep Gate. When Nehemiah came into the city, he was coming into the city during the time of Babylonian captivity. And as he surveyed the situation of the city, he received letters and he received a, a command from a Persian king to restore and to build Jerusalem in the midst of a time of captivity. Now what we showed you in prior segments, and we, we have filmed, I don't know, at least 20-some programs just on uh, this roadmap to Reformation. But we showed you in prior segments how that Babylon fits the description, and we compared that to the book of Revelation, where the book of Revelation uh, talks concerning the great city that is the harlot. One of the key things he says to uh, that harlot city is, in her was found the blood of all that were slain on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias or to the martyrs that were on the earth. And in her was found the blood, and the blood of those martyrs came upon that wicked, adulterous city that he calls in Revelation Babylon. Jesus himself stood in Jerusalem in Matthew 23 and tells you that that city of Jerusalem was the ones who had killed the prophets and stoned them that were sent to them. So what I'm showing you is that the ancient city of Jerusalem under an old covenant paradigm is being compared to Babylon. So when I'm talking about coming out of Babylon, I'm talking about coming out of religious bondage and captivity, especially as we focus on it being coming out of an old covenant paradigm where we are slaves and we are coming into a new covenant city of God where we are sons. And so uh, as sons of God, we are not just servants, but we are no longer servants, but sons. And as I've showed you this transition, Nehemiah comes into the city and he is surveying the condition of the city. He first of all comes to the dragon well and then he comes to the dung port and then he comes to the gate of the fountain. I showed you in prior segments how I believe that we've turned the corner. Whenever you pass the dragon well, the dragon well legend has it that the head of a dragon was cut off. And I showed you, I'm not going to go back into detail because we did a lot of study on this. Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly when he took the handwriting of ordinance that was against us and nailed it to the cross. See Colossians 2 for the text on that. The handwriting of ordinance was against us was the law of carnal commandments and was the power of condemnation that the enemy uses to condemn and get us to walk away from him and to stay in bondage rather than to run to God. 
And so what I showed you is the head of a dragon was cut off. Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. Then he comes to the dung port. And I showed you in Philippians how the apostle Paul said, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. And as touching the law, watch this, as touching the law, I was blameless. But I counted all as dung, dung, that I might win Christ and be found in Him. So the turning from the dung gate is a turning from your own righteousness based on the law to turning to a righteousness that is based on the faith of Jesus Christ and be found in Him, not having your own righteousness, which is a product of the law, but a righteousness that is a product of the faith of Jesus Christ. That's the term. And as Nehemiah passes the dung gate, if you go back and look at an ancient map, you can look it up anywhere on the internet, there is a stark and definite corner that is turned there. Once he passes that dung gate, he makes a stark turn, and he heads back up and he comes to the fountain gate. We talked about the fountain gate, and about two or three weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, we did about four segments on the fountain gate. We come to the gate of the fountain, and we start to see that there's a change, that when we come to the gate of the fountain, that there is a river that flows from Emmanuel's veins. Last week we begin to talk about what Nehemiah 3 says. When they came to uh, chapter 3 of the book of Nehemiah, it says in chapter 3, Then Elisha the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They sanctified it, they set up the doors of it, even under the tower of Mia. They sanctified it under the tower of Hananiel, and next unto him built the men of Jericho, and next to him them builded Zachar, the son of Imri. Eliashib's name means whom God restores, whom God leads back again. God will restore them. God has restored. Eliashib is the high priest. He's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, who has come on the scene to restore us back to God, or to lead us back to our focus on Him. See, I think sometimes what we think is, if we turn to the law, we've turned to God. What we've done is turn to the substitute. See, what the people of Israel did when God gave them the law at the foot of Mount Sinai was they forfeited a personal relationship with God for a mediator system. If you go back and read Deuteronomy in the backstory, God did not want to give them the law to start out with. As a matter of fact, Galatians 3 and 4 tells us that the law was added because of a transgression. I believe that transgression was they forfeited the Abrahamic covenant that was on the basis of faith. And they said, look, God wanted to bring the whole nation of Israel up on the mountain and make them a nation of priests where everybody would have access to God as a nation of priests. But when they saw God come down on the mountain and the smoke and the the glory, he's, the, the people of Israel with one voice said to Moses, we're afraid of him, you go talk to him, and whatever he says to you, we will do it, and if we do it, it will be our righteousness. And God said, all right, if the people don't want to have personal relationship with me, then send Aaron and his sons and come on up the mountain, because when you forfeit relationship, you forfeit for rules. And so God gives them the law, not because he wanted to give them rules, he wanted to give them a relationship. But when you don't have a relationship, 
you have to have rules. And the less relationship you have, the more rules you have to have. And I think sometimes, especially in Christendom today, we have so digressed, I think, from God's original intention just to have relationship with us that we think that our rule-keeping has become our relationship. And all it is is empty stuff that I showed you last week when Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep. He was the sheep gate. We showed you that last week. That I'm the door of the sheep and all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. And, and what came before them, he said, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. So what the thieves and robbers are of John 10, the thief cometh not before to kill, steal, and destroy. It's the things that rob our life. And what he's telling them in that chapter is, you think the way into the sheepfold is through the performance of an old covenant ritual, but the reality of it is, is that's not the door. I'm the door. Moses is not the door. The straight and narrow that they were not finding in the first century is not rule-keeping. The straight and narrow is Jesus Christ. He is the only road that leads to life, and there were few there be that were finding it. They were not finding the way. The way is Jesus. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm trying to point people to Jesus because He's the only way. He's the high priest who's come to restore us and to lead us back to God. Let me just go, uh, this, the, the idea of the sheep gate is a return and restoration of God's people through the only way into the sheepfold. That's through the gate in John 10. All that ever came before him are thieves and robbers. And the reality of it is, is that uh, Moses again, the contrast with this idea that came before, all that came before him was Moses and the law, and the idea of the straight and narrow path was being performance Christianity. Now there's a new way to return. Also note that the word repentance means to turn about or to change one's bent. Repentance can mean not just your repentance from sin, and I believe that's included here. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to give you a license to sin. I'm trying to give you a relationship with God, and the more you get a relationship with God, the less you're going to want to sin. But what I want you to see is that it means the word means to repent. And sometimes we think in terms of repentance as being, well, constantly being in altars. But the word repent means to change the way you think. And I believe there's a shift and a return the way God's people think. And there's a turning about. And I think one of the things we're doing is we're turning from law to grace. When John the Baptist comes on the scene, this book right here is written from law to grace. And it's written from the whole Matthew 3 version of where John the Baptist said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what John was saying is not just what you turn from, but what you turn toward. You can turn from some things, but if you don't turn toward something, see, a lot of people have turned from law, and really the whole transition that John was talking there, John was the last of the old covenant prophets, because up until then all the law and the prophets prophesied until John, and up until then violent men took the kingdom by force. But Jesus comes on the scene and says, Are you tired? Are you weary? And that same chapter, Matthew 11, are you burnt out on religion? Come to me, walk with me, work with me, see how I do it. I'll teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. And so all of that culminated with John, and John's message of repentance is turn from this repent from dead works, turn from this old covenant paradigm, repent from law, and turn to grace. Now once again, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the antidote for it. For where sin abounds, that's where grace will superabound because true grace empowers you to live a godly life. 
For it is the grace of God, Titus said, that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. It's grace that does that. All law does, according to the Apostle Paul, is it stirs up in us all manner of concupiscence. Paul said, I was alive once, but when the commandment came, uh, it, uh, when the commandment came, sin, arrived, uh, sin revived, and I died. And so it did not produce life in him. The only way in is through the door, which is the sheep gate, which is Christ. Uh, this, this was the only gate that was consecrated. It was set apart as holy. It was used for the bringing in of sacrifices for the temple. Thousands of years later, when Jesus was on earth, He always entered Jerusalem through the sheep gate, except for the triumphal entry. The sheep gate also led to Golgotha, the path Jesus took to the crucifixion. The sheep goat equals salvation through Jesus' death on the cross alone. This gate had no bolts. This gate was one of the ones that had no bolts or bars. I think that's important because what that tells me is there's no bars hold, held. That there's no, salvation is freely available to everyone who enters through it. No holds are barred, everyone included. And what that reminds me of is a text in the book of Revelation where we're comparing again this city with the restored city of Revelation chapter 1. And one of the powerful things that he says in Revelation concerning the new Jerusalem is her gates are never shut day or night. Outside the city are dogs and whoremongers and whoever loves and makes a lie, but the gates are never shut. And the Spirit and the bride, the book of Revelation ends with the Spirit and the bride saying, Come. I am so glad that the Scripture declares that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In this roadmap to Reformation, if you are watching me today, I challenge you to enter into the only gate that has no bars, no bolts, no restrictions. You say, well, I just need once I, you know, I hear people say this all the time. I, I, I hear people say, but Brother House, you know what, I'm going to come to church when I get my act together. To which I reply, if you get your act together, it's just an act. See, you must come just as you are because I'm telling you the gospel is for the weak, it's for the weary, it's for the broken, it's for those of us who have messed up, it's for those of us who have no strength or ability on our own. As a matter of fact, what he declares in the scripture, he gives more grace to the humble. That doesn't mean you go around with your head hanging down in the mully grubs. It simply means that you have realized that where God is concerned, you're going to have to humble yourself on the mighty hand of God and receive His grace because your strength, your might, your willpower, your, your self-righteousness, your do-it-yourself band-aid religion, Romans 8 calls it in the Message Bible, is only a band-aid. But when you come through this gate called Christ and you receive this sacrifice that He became, his death opens the way for us to, uh, to uh, opens the way for us to be restored back to uh, our relationship with the Father. The, the, the sheep gate, the sheep gate, also in Nehemiah is mentioned at the start and the end of the chapter. Everything starts and ends with Jesus, sacrifice on the cross. It's all about Jesus and His work on the cross. He is the Alpha 
and He is the Omega. And uh, I think that's so important. Uh, and, that, and you know that He is the door and the way into the sheepfold. It goes on to tell us that it went, it, they built that to the Tower of Mia. The word the, the Tower of Mia means a hundred. This also when it means a hundred, the tower was uh, or the gate was connected to the Tower of Mia, could speak of. 30, 60, and 100 fold. It's that through the work of the cross, through the blood of Jesus, and through the ongoing work of the great shepherd, he leads us into not just the beginning of our salvation, it starts and ends, remember, with the sheep gate. That it is him all the way through. He is the alpha, and he is the omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the 30-fold, the 60-fold, and He will ultimately bring us to the Tower of Mia, which is the 100-fold. Next to Him built Zachar, which means, His name means mindful or well-remembered, pure. It means the root equals to remember. In other words, we come to the place where we start to remember all that God has done and where He's brought us from and so that we can come uh, to this place. The sheep, goat was, the sheep gate was so named... It was named the sheep gate because a toll was charged here for sheep being brought into and sold at the market. Adam Cart states in his commentary uh, concerning this sheep gate that there was uh, something that took place there at the pool of Bethesda. Now let's just with that in mind, let me take you over here and uh, and show you something at the pool of Bethesda. This is in John chapter 5. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. Now, uh, Adam Clark uh, and many of the commentaries believe that this was the feast of Passover. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate. I want you to see this. There was by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, meaning the house of mercy and the house of grace, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. This will be significant probably in the next segment. There was a certain man there who had infirmity eight years. Well, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in the condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made whole? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, who made, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk, but the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now the first thing I want you to see is they're at the feast of the Passover, and they are by a sheep gate. 
Now the sheep gate again is the place where the sheep were brought to market. Let me read you some things from my notes. This is Adam Clark states in his commentary. The feast is probably the feast of Passover for several reasons. Number one, they were sheep to the market, and it was the place that the sheep were led to the slaughter on the feast of Passover. The sheep market was also called the sheep gate. Careful study of the book of Nehemiah will reveal that was a gate called the sheep gate. It was at this gate that sheep would be brought for sacrifice. They would be washed in the pool, and sometimes the blood from the sacrifice would go into the water and run down the slope into this pool called Bethesda. Legend has it that the blood is probably what troubled the water. The blood of sacrifice would come into that pool. It would cause healing effects to flow from sacrifice. The word Bethesda means house of mercy or house of grace. Those who most need the five porches of grace are those who are impotent, blind, halt, lame, and I want you to notice this. Jesus does not come to this man and says to him, do you want to be healed? He says, do you want to be made whole? Now this pool, once again, was at a sheep gate. I think this is powerful. Because what troubled the water was that when the blood of these sacrifices would, would, would bleed into this slope, it would come down into the waters, and the blood of the lamb would trouble the water. And when you put the lamb's blood in the water, it's going to bring healing and wholeness to people. Let me tell you, the sacrifice of Jesus did a lot of things. I, I, you know, I was thinking, and, and we're going to get to this probably more in detail when I get over to the water gate. But the book of Revelation says, and I, I, He showed me a pure river, clear as a crystal, flowing out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. There is a river that flows from a slain Lamb. From the, what does that mean? That means from the revelation of Jesus in His finished work, that if you are blind, you are halt, you are lame, that you can come to Jesus and not only get healed, you can be made whole. I believe there are people listening <coughs> to my voice today. And you may not need physical healing, but you need some emotional healing. You need healing from your crippledness and inability to be able to walk. You need healing from your blindness where you don't have a revelation of the Word of God. You need to have a healing from uh, being crippled and halt and lame and, and you, you can't walk this thing out. I believe that's, you know what? That's talking to every person probably listening to my voice right now is that that's the ones He gives the house of mercy and the house of grace to. Oh, it's so powerful that He brings us to, one of this is one of the very first gates He brings us to is because when you realize how much you need Him, You're going to turn to this fountain, and you're going to say, this time, it's not just waiting on some man to put you in. And this time, this particular day, this guy is at the pool of Bethesda, the house of mercy <coughs> and the house of grace, and he's waiting on the troubling of the water. But this time, hallelujah, the real Lamb of God's on the scene. This time, Jesus, the true Lamb of God, the real sheep gate, the one who is going to purge us and cleanse us and wash us from our sin. Understand that even in this same area, there was a lot of these ceremonial baths where they would do their rituals of cleansing, and it became equivalent to the place where some say 
that many of the people who are baptized on the day of Pentecost were baptized in these pools. I believe they called them mikvahs. And the reality of this, this is the place where we dedicate our lives and consecrate ourselves to the Lamb of God. We're washed by the blood of the Lamb. And when He troubles the water, He puts this man in, or, or when He speaks to this man, He says, do you want to be made whole? And the man says, I don't have any man to put me in. I've been here for 38 years waiting on the troubling of the water. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be made whole? Now, I think it's significant. And we're going to get into why he was there for 38 years in the next segment. I don't have enough time to get into it in this one. But I just want to bring the individual aspect of this uh, to it, because I believe that everything that we see, even leading up to this, has to do with water. The Pool of Bethesda seems to be connected with water. From John 1 through John 5, water is being mentioned. He turns the water to wine. Nicodemus, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. Then chapter 3, the woman is at the well, needs a drink of water. <coughs> Excuse me. And now we're at the pool of Bethesda, and the water is being troubled. Do you see the theme here? There's water involved. And there's, they're bringing them to the washing of the water and the, and the commitment that it takes. You know, water baptism in the New Covenant, to me, is a, is, is a token of the covenant. It's as, it, it, is, it is to the new covenant where circumcision was to the old covenant. When you're baptized into Christ, then you have become initiated, if you will, or you've declared, your, you've declared yourself uh, to be a part of the body of Christ. You've been baptized into, into Christ. And I believe that, you know, when we realize that... We don't have to wait. You know, I think one of the things I want to say before this segment ends as well is that this man was sitting there waiting on the troubling of the water. And I know we still have people today that are sitting around waiting on God to do something, waiting on another revival, waiting on another stir. But I want to tell you something. We're not event-oriented in the New Covenant. It's not seasons where he decides he's going to trouble water. Now the water troubler is here. And the moment you recognize that Jesus is the gate and He's the door, that you can enter into this house of mercy and you can come through this gate by grace, and that whatever the problem is, you can be made whole from. And you can take up your bed and from this place you can go and walk. It might make the religious scribes and Pharisees angry and mad because He does this on the Sabbath day. But I can tell you again, I have another book called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace laying there on the table that you can get. Or I talk about all the miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath, and this was one of them. Because the Sabbath speaks of His finished work and the rest that flows from that. I thank God we've come to a different gate. And that gate is the sheep gate. And you can enter in. There's no bars, no locks, nothing to keep you out. Simply whosoever will to receive it. Receive Him today. We're just about ready to run out of time again. And I want to say before we close that we do need your help to keep the, this message on the air. Uh, our cost has gone up significantly this year, and we need you to sow a seed to become a monthly partner with us if you'd like to see the stay on the air. Uh, you can do that by going to my website, and there is a link where you can give via credit card or PayPal, or you can sign up even for a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner. You can send a check or money order to the number that will come up on the screen or you can call that number on the screen and someone will take your call. If there's no one answers, leave a message. We'll call you back, and we do need your help. God bless you. Do it today. God bless. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.